This is IVP. This is The Disruptors, a podcast from Innovar City Press. Hosted by me, Esau McCauley. Beth Moore is pretty cool. <laughs> I was surprised by how much we got along. I think me and Beth are friends now. Richard, do I hear a familiar voice? I'm here again. (laughs) Then surely you have told our brother what a professional he has on with him today. So we're getting ready to do season two of The Disruptors. And I literally said, I want to do it if I can get Beth Moore on the podcast. I want to interview Beth Moore. But then he's like, well, you need to contact Beth to see if she can do it. So I'm having to email Beth and slide into her direct messages. Beth, Beth, will you be on the podcast? And you're literally producing her podcast. Is I have slid into her DMs way too many times already <laughs> to ask her for stuff. And so I needed to let someone else take that. Yet. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it was really good just to, to talk to her about the Bible. You know, I've been doing this for like, you know, 15, 20 years. And she's now been doing this her entire life. What was great to me was the fact that that enthusiasm doesn't wane no matter how much and how long you study this text, it still has the ability to leap out and surprise us. Oh, I'm so glad to be on with you brothers this afternoon. Oh my goodness. I mean, I grew up in an African-American black church context. We were pretty much ensconced. Like we were the permanent Baptist denomination. So we were pretty kind of enclosed in our own thing. And I didn't know a lot about like why the evangelical culture. I didn't know anything about the Southern Baptist convention. Time goes on. Long story short, nobody cares about it. I've become an Episcopalian and I'm attending a Episcopal church and they're having Beth Moore videos. Like you, it was it was one of your like Beth Moore video series. And it was a part of the women's ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember the pastor saying, and this is, <laughs> he, may, he may be listening in on this episode. He said, I know we're not supposed to love this. But Beth Moore's stuff is so good. Like the men are like signing up for like your the class that was for women. He's like, I like to sit in on it. And you so, are kidding me. I'm, I'm completely serious. It was the women's ministry, but the pastor was like, this is so good. And I try, don't I don't want I don't want to get this wrong. But in my brain, have you done something on Daniel? Oh, yes. Yes. So I think Absolutely. It, was, it was the series on Daniel that they were having oh, at the church. Man. And he was like, this is this is the cell. And this is the cell that like, it's so good that even I want to join. Oh my word. That, (laughs) that just blows my mind. And I got to tell you, it's such a refreshing thing to hear because that I have to almost get outside my tradition to hear something like that coming from the pulpit. (laughs) And I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but mostly for real. (laughs) So, no, I heard about you as this, like, amazing Bible teacher. But what I'm saying is by this point, it was a fully formed, like, phenomenon. There was tapes, mm. there were videos, there was everything. There were courses. So for the people who who kind of met you at this point, they come into the church, 
you're the person who teaches the yes. Bible. Where did this come from? Did you always know you wanted to be a Bible teacher? You know, Tell us a little bit about like how you ended up. And then I'm going to ask the second question about like how you ended up where you are now. That's the second question. But the oh, first question absolutely. Is, how did you get into just the process of, of teaching the Bible uh, publicly? And how did it get from beginning in those places to where you are now? You know, they they say that some things are taught and some things are caught. And so I sort of was taught and I also caught because what happened for me, I now Esau, I have had a a, a fascination with Jesus since early, early childhood. I have no memory. I was raised in church and have no memory of a time in my life that the name of Jesus would not have been as familiar to me as the name of my brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles. Uh, that that was just, uh, he was as real to me as any one of them, even though he was no one I had ever seen with my eyes or touched with my fingertips. That was what I knew. We church was such a part of my life, and you know, multiple times a week. So I, I had um, I try to think what I could really call it, and when I would say I started developing a, a, an actual love for him. But certainly by the time I was in my teenage years, and then felt a very strong call of God when I was eighteen. But I had no idea to what. I just the best way I know to explain it is that I just simply knew that whatever my future was, it was his. And that I would work for him, but I, I thought I didn't know what it would look like, you know. So it it wasn't until after that that I, it was being in a class and having it taught by someone who loved scripture more than he loved his next meal. That was what did it for me. One of the things that's interesting is that I mean, this isn't about my book, but the reason there's there's an intention when I open the book. I, it, the book that I wrote, Reading on Black, it opens up with me getting ready to go to church. And then it immediately goes into the process of like growing up in the black church. Brother, yes. so I'm one of those people who's similar. I had this period in college where I wasn't acting right, but I never, I knew oh, I was. Oh, <laughs> so oh, I, so that was 100%. And so, anyway, I've got to tell you, I've got yeah. that, your book open right beside me because oh. I have, oh my word, I have loved it so, so much. I got to tell, please, please allow me this moment to say this because I got to tell my, my uh, daughter uh, just even yesterday, I said, we were talking about great writers of our day and how much a wonderful, wonderful, um, uh, insight there is out there, but and leadership and um, uh, discipleship. But I'm talking about when you then happen on an actual true writer, and um, you, brother, are one of them. I mean, you you have got some kind of pen, brother. So uh, I oh, did. I resonated with every single bit of that and, in fact, resonated so strongly with it, especially one particular part of uh, your uh, story that meant so much to me that I that I just wept. I mean, I read it with tears streaming down my cheeks. And I, I'm going to tell you what it is because it marks so much of the conversation that we'll have in this podcast. What, what I loved so much is your formation 
in the scriptures that as you that as you have come and and grown and and matured in it and had your journey with Christ that it is not just been this this deconstruction that brought you to the dignity of all people but really the construction of your faith according to Christ in his gospel and the word. I Listen, I got no interest in any kind of life that sets my Bible aside. I love it. I love the study of scripture. I, the first time I had been around people all my life that that I would say loved the church. I was around true servants that loved God um, but I was 27 and attending my first Bible doctrine class, trying to find some way of teaching a Sunday school class that I'd been put in charge of. I was in a Bible doctrine class at 27 when I first encountered somebody that I knew loved Scripture. I don't mean just, just he didn't just read it for discipline. I mean, he he delighted in it. Well, I'll and, let you in. I'll let oh. you in on, on a little bit of a secret. Oh, please do. Nobody's listening to this podcast, so maybe they won't know. Um, Reading While Black is a lot of things, but one of them is it's a love letter to the Bible. Oh, I, um, I it is. very so, well recognize that, my It's friend. not marketed. I mean, it's, it's funny. I got like one person wrote a book review. It's like, I was just, I was surprised with how much scripture was in there. I was like, yeah, oh. buddy. Oh, I was on it. I was looking, because I, I, that's what is important to me that that's what i'm interested in i don't that I, that will lead anywhere else is going to lead to a dead end or it's just going to lead us further and further and further from the gospel what listen the truth is going to be what is consistent with that written word on that page that's what we've got that's what's engraved for us it's what we can hold in our hands and so i just don't have interest in another way uh, of uh, of life and of thinking that's going to that's going to shut my my bible this 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 is where i came to to know and love jesus as truly the the unrivaled if if i may be so bold romance of my life no, and I, so yeah i was i was going to say that like one of the things that and this you talked about deconstruction versus reconstruction is I didn't trust anybody more than I trusted Jesus to deconstruct Mm-mm. and reconstruct. And so what tends to happen is I'm being told that I should trust y'all instead of trusting. I was like, I don't trust y'all because every single time, every Absolutely. single time someone has said to black people in general that we know how to reconstruct a society that benefits you, we've been stepped on. And so what I want to say is the person who's, who's been at the center in the African-American context of the deconstruction of anti-blackness, it's been Jesus. It's been the Exodus story. So if he, he has receipts. He has a long history oh, of stepping into culture and condemning it. So I don't need someone to tell oh, me. I mean, oh, I'm telling you, I, I'm nearly standing to my feet and I've got to chill all the way up my back because I'm going to tell you something. I cannot even count the times I just want to scream at the tops of my at top of my lungs. Everybody shut up. But Jesus, honestly, <laughs> he's who I trust. He is who I trust. When I was growing up, I grew up in such an unstable environment. And, you know, my church was my safe place. My home was not a safe place. And I'm not, that's not to say I wasn't loved. Um, it's to say that there was a lot going on in my home and there was love going on in my home and there was uh, 
abuse going on in my home and there was a ton of instability and darkness and brokenness. But somehow God reserved this place, this this even this childhood faith somehow I just simply believed him. I believed the story. I believed that Jesus really did love the little children. And I, how in the world all of that stuck in the midst of so much upheaval in my life and so so many author, authoritarian type of people that bore the name of Christ sort of running into the ditch is only is only a credit to to God. He alone could have sustained that. One of the things that um, I like about you, and it's similar, it's funny how much of our stories, I mean, people would say that me and Beth Moore obviously have a lot in common from the outside. Um, <laughs> but one of the things is that I saw, and one day, one day there, you know, if there is a Reading Wild Black 2 or whatever comes out after that, I'll tell the story of the other side. And what I mean is I didn't grow up in a perfect context where everybody in the church and everybody who around me were these perfect models of Christian faith. And so I saw the underside of the church, but it was like, I believed anyway. And yes. so one of the things that, 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 that I think people sometimes misunderstand is they think that, well, we're Christians because we had this perfect experience and the church never failed us. And, you know, our families were perfect, but no, it was the fact that Jesus carried me through the brokenness in my own context. And sometimes even the brokenness in my church, there's stories that I can't tell until some people die. <laughs> I have to sit on them for another decade or so that is sitting in my heart. No, I'm so ready to write a memoir and it's the same way because I'm thinking, okay, well now I just need, I need the following people to, <laughs> you know, see, see the Lord and, uh, you know, but just this morning, I was reading. I've been reading in Isaiah in my, in my uh, own, own devotions in the morning, and, and it's so beautiful because this morning was that that portion of it that says, "I I was the one who carried you in your mother's womb, and I will carry you uh, in your old age." It says, uh, "You have been sustained from the womb, carried along since birth. I will be the same until your old age. I will bear you up when you turn gray. I made you. I will carry you. I will bear bear you, and I will rescue you." And that has been my story. When everything else gave way. Jesus held. He just always did. He has always come through as exactly who he said he would be. And here's the thing. If, if we're getting Jesus keeping his promises of always being who he said he would be, we've got to get that from yeah. our Bibles, because we can't just, the, the Jesus, the, there's this, okay, okay, go with me here, because in the very I'm beginning of I'm, Acts, I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm remember when Peter says, this same Jesus, this same Jesus, who you I'm saw, this same Jesus, the angel said, and this, it's, Acts starts with this same, this, there are so many Jesuses out there that we're going like, I don't know who that Jesus is. Yeah. But I can tell you who this Jesus is and this Jesus right here. Now, whatever prosperity gospel Jesus you got going on out there, that that the idea of 
of uh, of divine favor always looks like winning and never like losing. I don't know where you're coming. That's some of that Jesus. It's shocking but that you could have a story with the crucifixion at the center of it. I just don't know. I, I do not it. know. It, it, it literally takes, says, take your it cross takes up more and creativity than we've got. I, can, I yeah. can tell you that. But if we will go to the scriptures and see Christ of the gospels, he will never, ever be untrue to that. He, he's going to tell us the truth when, when we're not going to like it. And uh, he's always going to still be there when everybody else has has walked away. And, you know, it, and, and at every at every point when I when I don't when I'm about to scream and I don't know why God made the decision that he made in that situation or why that had to come down the way it did. I think of the words when he said, will you also desert me? And they were like, where, where else would we go? You have the words of life, and that's how I feel about him. He is a standalone in my life, and for that to happen, there has been <laughs> there has been a train wreck or two in life because one, you know you have to find out that other people are not Jesus, and that's not pretty. So one of the things that the theme of this podcast is like the disruptors. And there's different ways of thinking about disruption. One is like someone who just comes and just tears everything down, like the deconstructive thing. But the the ethos running through this podcast is what happens when it's the gospel that mm-hmm. leads you into oh. the disruption? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what I want to say is like, what was it? Because, I mean, there's tons of Southern Baptist women who just love Jesus and who don't do the things that you did. So what took you from I love Jesus to I want to teach Jesus. My teaching has always come out of my studying. It was that I couldn't, I couldn't keep anything that I thought was just like fascinating or intriguing in the word or or life-changing or freeing, liberating. What that I, I guess maybe one way to tell if you have the spiritual gift of teaching is can you just enjoy it yourself? And if you can, it probably is true that you may not have the gift of teaching. If you've got the gift of teaching, you can you cannot learn something weighty and um, life altering and and that brings great comfort or or some clarity of direction without sharing it. And so I, I, I am a student at heart. I love, I love the whole research process. I love, I don't just like the writing or the selling of the book. I also just purely love that I'm going to try to take apart uh, a book of the Bible or a concept in the Bible. I'm going to try to complete, talk about deconstructing. That's my idea of deconstruction is taking a concept and breaking it up into all its parts and looking, seeing it scattered through the scriptures. So that when it was, it was, Right, parallel with with coming to love it so much that there was this natural outflow of wanting so much to share what I had learned, and even when I first began writing Bible studies, it's still true to to this day. I just finished the nineteenth one from uh, uh, that curricula. I've written regular books uh, that would um, be people would understand more like trade books that you would get it, you know on, on, uh, oh, say at a, a Barnes and Noble in the days that we really could walk yeah. into a bookstore and that kind of thing. And then these that are our Bible study series. And, and I, I still to this day 
I invite the participant to come along in the way that is sort of my learning style. This is how this really jumped off the page at me and just walk them along in that. And so uh, by God's grace, somehow that resonated along the way. But yeah, it came directly out of that. I, anytime I have taught more than I was learning, I got... <laughs> you get in trouble? Oh, 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 dear. This is why, in some senses, I like love Twitter. And P- I, I use Twitter the opposite of most other people. I was telling her, when I'm researching, it's actually when I'm tweeting the most. And when I'm not researching, I don't tweet. Because I usually don't just have things that I say. It's usually I'm reading something in the scripture and I go, oh, man. This is so good. Oh, I need so to good. say it. Oh, me I just need to tweet it out. And me so too. like part, part of my like t- social media is the overflow. That's why I'm not as good as Instagram because oh, I'm, I'm, oh, just, I'm not either. I'm pathetic. Oh, I was telling pathetic. someone, your Instagram is hilarious. We were actually talking about, I don't know. What, it was one time when you're at the coffee, you're at, you're getting some, I'm going to talk about Instagram. What I was going to say is what was it like then to, to see this ministry explode because from like i said i'm from the outside and from the outside it was just like oh beth moore is wonderful we're so happy that all of these books but (laughs) but what what i can gather from not being a southern baptist is that that was not the way that it was experienced on the inside no and and probably because it did grow so fast it attracted a lot of criticism. And so here's the thing. I I didn't go looking for that. I have always had a whole lot of satisfaction in whoever was just right in front of me. I was very satisfied by my classes. I taught Sunday school for 23 years and I taught uh, a, a weekday class uh, it, at a different church uh, each week. And then, you know, I, I loved the classes that I had and I, I, and I was, I was traveling and speaking, you know, events speaking at that point, but I really loved just developing a relationship with, with a class. I loved an, an, enough to have a good, you know, a, a a good level of energy in the room, but few enough where I could hear people respond to the word and I, I could see their faces and I could try to read uh, wh- where it was connecting and where I still needed to explain or what it might be. I, I love that. I'm very satisfied like uh, with that. So I didn't go looking for uh, bigger and bigger, um, particularly because actually I do still have fear of it. You know, I, I have... Uh, I can remember when it really, really peaked out. This was before podcasts. You know, now you can get anything. You, you don't have to go to any of it. I mean, you can get anything online, absolutely anything, and any kind of teaching. Any, but in, in the in the big event days, and there there are still some big events, but not not right now, needless to say. But but uh, in this in this era, but in the days that it would that we would have sold out events, it's something like. 21,000, 20, 24,000. I got to tell you, Esau, that those were not fun days for me. Uh, they were memorable. I've got a really big picture on my wall that someone took of uh, our group. I think it was in Atlanta of the arena. And it's, it's stunning because it's an, uh, it's from the, from the top and it's looking down and it's just, it's it, every time I pass it in the hall, um, I just think I, I, can't even believe we experienced something like that. But as sure as I'll think that, it will also always also be followed up by a wave of of butterflies, if not 
full on anxiety because that it's a that's a lot. That's a lot. And I've always felt the same way. And that's that, you know, I didn't, I don't have, I, I'm not a greatly talented person. I'm somebody who I love the scriptures and I believe everybody has the same invitation of Christ to come to know him. I, I believe it's just possible for anybody to come to love him and know him and, and have a fruitful life. And I'm, I'm just very determined about that, but, but I don't feel like, you know, I always, I don't test my material a yes. lot. I get bored easy. I don't, I don't teach. I don't just perfect a message and give it over and over because, because I just, I just get bored too easy. So I'm constantly teaching brand new material that I've put together. And sometimes it's, it works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's just like, I didn't listen, folks. I didn't, I didn't go asking for this. I don't know. What? I don't know what we're doing here, but I don't know what your expectation is, but I just want to study the scriptures. I know it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I don't have one, literally like one tenth of the platform that you have, but just this summer has been like, I had real anxiety coming into the fall of last year, mm-hmm. so much so that I had to go to a, I had to go see somebody. Yes, because yes. I never planned on having a public platform no, or a public ministry. Mm-mm. I was t- you talk about writing. This is true. I started writing on my own personal blog, and yes. then maybe six to twelve months later, the this 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 group blog invites me to write on that blog, and then a year after that, Christianity Today reaches out to me. A year after that, it was the Washington Post. Uh, two months after that, it was the New York Times. And then you have this column. And all of a sudden, all of this attention is focusing on me. And people are asking me questions like, I know what I'm talking about. Yes. It's like, listen, I was trying to do it every moment. The thing that seemed right, just, and true. No, that's and so, true. I've got well, a lump, it, I, I honestly have a lump in my throat hearing you say that because that is exactly what I'm talking about. But Esau, I got to tell you something. But aren't you thankful that you can tell that story? Because this way, and this is what I have to say to myself all the time. I'm going to try to uh, not uh, have my voice break when I say it because uh, nobody likes to hear uh, people cry on a podcast, particularly not old women. And so I'm not going to. But I, I will say that this is a very tender matter to me that I have to be able to say to myself when when I'm under the gun and under criticism and I've said something wrong or done something wrong um, or blown it somehow, I have to know in the deepest part of my being that God called me and already knew I'd be flawed, but that I didn't go looking for it, uh, that he brought it to me. Because I tell you, Esau, if we thought we signed ourselves up for some of this, if I thought I had signed myself up for these last five years, brother, I don't know what I'd do. But what, what I have at the end of the day is that I know only God could have put me here. That's it. So this this will sound weird, and forgive me, but th- this is this is part of the conversation I wanted. I really want to focus in on the, la- the last bit of time that we have is like talking to you and seeing like what you did over the last like three to five years. It's kind of what this will sound weird. What I thought evangelicalism was going to do, and this is what I mean when I say this. I thought that the issue related to um, injustice, especially as it relates to African Americans mm. and yes. other people 
was simply a matter of making the biblical case. Right. And I thought if we showed people that it was in the scriptures, people would just go, oh, sure. Mm -hmm. This is all over the Bible. Me too. And so I was just shocked. I was just shocked when I started talking about these things and I got so much pushback from the people who claim the same scriptures as me. And so I'm looking around and I kind of, Beth Moore, the woman who I first encountered at the church teaching Daniel, and the next thing I know, like she she kind of blazes across my Twitter feed <laughs> talking about like the sufferings of, of of black people. So here's the question. You had enough. What I'm saying is you had enough stuff going on from what I can tell of Southern Baptist just being mad at you for existing as a woman and teaching the Bible in those spaces. Why did you decide then to start talking about issues of injustice, knowing the blowback that you were going to receive? Okay. Because I I want to talk around, I want to stay with what our purpose is. Because my my calling, my passion is the church. It is discipleship. When people say to me, I, you know, I liked you better before you were political. I, you know, I want to go, listen, I'm going to tell you something. My interest is in the church. It is in the gospel witness of the church. It is discipleship and it came to us. But I, in order to tell you this story, I still have to go back to the last election. So permit me to do that without derailing our conversation. election. I've got to go back here because what became clear to me and what undid me. It first began with the woman issue because I got so undone over the the conservative evangelical response to those um, Access Hollywood tapes. That's where it all began for me. It's like, wait one second. Wait a second. And I have said as often as anybody would, would hear me out, listen, I expected Donald Trump to be Donald Trump. I didn't expect us to be us. And so what, when I saw the misogyny for what it was and the sexism for what it was, which I had had to accept. And of course, I'm talking about in general, Esau, there have always been exceptional people, you know, and and in every tradition, certainly in mine, or I would not have lasted uh, as long as I would would never have made it. Um, but, But I'm talking about this overall, certainly. The public, the gospel witness to the public, when when I saw what emerged from that, and then I began to see the burgeoning, I, I know I know no other way, the explosion of not only sexism and misogyny and 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 within within evangelicalism, I mean within our own, this was what we were had come alongside. This was what we were. Part of what we were champion, we we were rationalizing all of this, and 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 compromising our values for for power and entrusting ourselves to our the the church to to the White House, and it was like what on earth? But simultaneously, what unnerved me was that I believed I was seeing us lose ground 
that had been gained and that we were, it was like we were being blown back decades. Well, it was, I mean, simultaneous to that, that I had the same concerns about matters of, of, of race and uh, justice. I, I thought, oh, oh my, my, my word. I mean, we never, ever made the ground that we needed to make. But I saw us going in reverse instead of taking it, making any advancement whatsoever in the gospel um, role uh, of justice. And it was extremely unnerving. So all at the same time, I am watching nationalism and I'm watching sexism, and I'm watching racism. And it is, I mean, it just becomes, I mean, it is the, it's like the, the age. I, I mean, it was like the, the only word I've ever been able to put with what I felt like. And listen, so many people would disagree with me on this and did at the time, but I have seen it as a full on seduction. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and of course, I, I've never been uh naive enough to think that evangelicalism didn't have its problems but i believed we were a gospel people that 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 the gospel of jesus christ was first and foremost to us and man that at least from a public witness began to unravel and i mean it was like all of this surfaced at once and it was it was like a, I mean, it was like an alarm. It was like a fire alarm going off in the church. It was like, oh my gosh, this, this is, this is, this is, this is disastrous. And uh, so there was no, people have said, you know, when, when you thought about it, are you, are you, uh, are you sorry that you spoke up? Number one, no, but number two, I don't, Sometimes, Esau, you don't think whether you're going to, to, to say something. You just, you know you have to. Hey, everybody. Richard here, producer of The Disruptors. InterVarsity Press wanted me to let you know that you can go to ivpress.com disruptors with an E to learn more about IVP books and get 30% off all titles with free shipping. And now let's go back to the conversation. Let me tell you how I came to that exact same moment. I've been dealing with issues of racism and injustice. And I remember like when Me Too started trending mm-hmm. on the internet. I remember mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, I thought to myself, and I'm just going to be honest, I thought to myself, I'm not personally being sexist. And then like when I thought that thought in my head, I said, oh my God, Mm -hmm. this is what everybody says about racism. Uh uh I'm, I'm like, I was, I remember looking at the me too stuff coming and I said, I'm already getting enough flack for talking about black people. If I start talking about women, this is going to be like double the hammer. So I'm not going to try to personally not be sexist. I said, well, hold on. This is what I want people to do with this with race. I'm saying, please help us. And so it's at that moment, the excess Hollywood stuff is happening. Me too is happening. Church too is happening. And I said to myself, oh my goodness, the church uh-huh. is misogynistic. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to begin Same. to, as best as I can, 
I don't know everything. I'm not an expert. As much as I can, I need to lend my voice to this issue. And then when you put those two things together, mm-hmm. when you're someone who talks about like what we will say women's issues, but I think it's just treating women as image bearers. And you talk about race issues. Those two things together put you in a category of like enemies of the church. Oh, absolutely. Why would you be fighting for it if you didn't love the church? As I told you earlier, it was my home that was the unsafe place. My safe place, my harbor was the church. I love the church. I believe, I listen, I'm a card carrying member. I believe in what the local church can do in a life and in a family. I'm a firm believer. So why would I not fight for it? But Esau, my story with racism is exactly what you just talked about with misogyny and sexism. I would have told you because I found it tremendously distasteful um, for, for for, for many of my adult years. I would not have seen myself as party to it until the last four years. And I began to see how I was part of a system of thinking. And I, I, okay, let me try to give you one example, because how, how can I say um, how I was uh, a party to it? Okay, for example, I would have always been part of a world in which I would have gone I love diversity because Esau, I do. I have, I've, I've never liked monochrome. I've never, I love, I love it. I love cultures. I love traveling to different parts of the world. I love um, a whole blend of, uh, of uh, people coming together with all sorts of different backgrounds and of all sorts of ethnicities. I love all of that. But as uh, Christina Edmondson said, this is one of the biggest things I've learned in the last couple of years. She said, love of diversity is not the same thing as a love of justice. And what I began to see is how I'd been party to a system that goes, oh, we want you. Black brothers and sisters, we want you. So come over here with us and do it our way. And we are going to have such a good time. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I would say my thing was, and this is what I say with people around racism. I, I mean, I didn't have any conscious bias, but I don't think the misogynists were uncomfortable around me. Well, there you go. And so they felt comfortable saying things that were like slightly inappropriate. And I didn't want to be the one who was who would ruin it, right? By saying, Oh, this is <laughs> this is bad. Right. And so, right. so what I'm saying, or I would say, like, what are the things for which I was willing to receive pushback? And I didn't articulate it in my mind, right? I didn't say out loud, I'm not gonna talk about gender because this or that uh, would follow. I just had a, like an, a subconscious thing of saying, that's not my issue. And so in so much as I just let it go, I was like, well, I'm perpetuating the system. And the moment that you begin to be the person around whom you can't talk reckless, then Esau's that person. Like, oh, he's oh, always, you know, he's yep. always bringing that issue yep. up or he's always, yep. you know, talking about these issues. And I don't even say I always talk about it because I, I consider myself on a journey rather than I am on a destination. So the gender stuff, the race stuff. I like the fact that the scriptures took you there for a tradition that like loves the scripture. Why is it? And maybe you can't speak for your, this is like when people ask, why do black people do this? This is me like, why do white evangelicals do this? I'm going to be an unfair question. Why can't it seem like things that are like blatantly against the scriptures that we perceive as an authority, why is that thing not taken seriously in kind of the current political analysis in the context where we say 
evangelicals say, this is scripture, this is who we are. And it seems to me that these things are completely violating scripture. Oh, I, oh, I, okay. I will tell you, listen, we have been on such similar journeys. We've just been on, you know, from two different perspectives perspectives, but it's been a very similar journey because I, I'm totally uh, with you on this in that it was coming to the realization of all the proof texting that had been done in, and see, okay, let me, for, for example, let, let's go back to women for a moment. I, I've said so many times, listen, I have never, ever, ever, uh, been, a uh, opposed to 1 Timothy 2 being taught, and I've taught it. I've, uh, I, I, I'm with you. I, I can go there with you. It's that it was the only thing that was taught. You understand what I'm saying? Where's the rest of it? And so here's what we talk about. We, we talk about people who uh, believe the scriptures. Here, I'm going to tell you, there are people who believe the scriptures. They just don't believe all of them. So here's what we do. And this is what I got tired of. This is when I thought, you know, and, and I'll go back a little bit to say that we who have not been academically trained, and there's good reasons for this. I'm talking about my 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 kind of person that's just gone on, you know, putting together a library with commentaries. And you know, I've had to look to people like you, Esau, in my that have the gifts of knowledge and are used of God to you know, scholars that that write. I the, I have made a life out of studying people who have do know can uh, read those original languages and can uh, do uh, have done the the scholarly work. And so you know, that's what I've cut my teeth on. But we'll tend to think okay because I'm just you know I, I I'm a lay person and uh, just. A, a regular student and uh, a, a reader of scripture, uh, you know, over and over again, many, many times from beginning to end. But we still will tend to think, no, the ones that, they, they are the ones that really know the things. They have the keys to knowledge. The ones that are in those, the pastors and the, the scholars, they have the keys. And so what they say, that 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 is it. And we're always, you know, we always submit to that because they're always going. And so, you know, you just think they've, they've got to be right. And then all of a sudden you look up and go, you are doing the very thing you are accusing me of doing, Yes, (laughs) which is proof texting, which is, I'm, you say to me that because I don't believe the same thing you do, that I'm not, I don't have sound doctrine. And I'm going to tell you, I believe more scripture than you do. Yeah, when I was in my flesh, <laughs> I've never did it. I always I had this idea that I should have like a hashtag, is this inerrant? And just like start putting passages from the Bible, like right. the, what the Bible is about the poor, right. the immigrant. And just like right. saying like, well, hold on. All I'm doing is opening up the rest of the Bible. That's right. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not rooted in Marxism or critical race theory, whatever it is. Oh, it's like, oh, it's literally it's so in the book of Deuteronomy. It's so it's exhausting. In, and you know, I'm just going to be—I'm going to be naughtier than you are because I'm—I'm I'm going to to go there with you and say I am so so tired of the way we derail the conversation is by labeling. In other words, okay, perfect example. I know pastors in Houston right now, all in the world you have to do right now, if you want to get rid of a pastor that 
is going to speak out against racism and is going to speak to the gospel uh, proponent, uh, the, the justice proponent of the gospel. All you have to do is you start a little email chain. You start a little rumor in your church that they are Marxists. So you don't have to have any basis for it whatsoever. You just start telling them, you just start saying, you know, they're into this and they've left sound doctrine. And listen, you, you can have that church, uh, have an empty pulpit within just months because all the, all you've had to do is just, nobody's doing their homework. The Venn diagram in my context of a black person with whom they disagree and is a critical race theorist is like a completely overlapping circle. So the question I ask is like, where is the black person? with whom you disagree about race and justice, who is not a critical race theorist? And the well, answer to that question, they, they have no category. So either you agree with them or you're a critical race theorist. Not that there, there is a, what it is, and, and, and this, I don't want to take too much time to say this, but what you do is you outline, this is the amazing thing, Beth. You can outline an entire history of ideas that spans 250 years. And at the end of outlining that history of ideas, they say, for this reason, what we say about justice can't be true. And by doing that, they completely run around the Bible. They don't move through the Bible and say, here's how Esau or Beth or so-and-so are misinterpreting these clusters of text. Right. They say, for this reason, we don't even have to. It's literally an excuse not no. to read the Bible. Oh, and it's and it's an excuse not to even look into it. You know, it's, yeah. because I'm going to tell you something, Esau, and I mean it. I, I'm about to show how uh, how uh, uninformed I am, and I have read and I've read. I don't even. I can't even find a a, a consistent definition of critical race theory. I can't, I've asked over and over again. Can someone exactly define for me when when you're t- telling me that this is what I? I've never read any marks. I've never read. I don't even, I don't know what you're talking about. Here's what I know. Here's what I know that Jesus came to set the captives free. That is what I know. I know that Jesus came and he seemed to go out of his way to bring uh, dignity to women. Here's what I know. And I've got to tell you, Esau, at the same time, as God would have it over these last couple of years, when people say, you know, what's made you hang in there? Well, for one thing, I, it never occurs to me. Not, I mean, Jesus is the love of my life. I'm, I'm not going anywhere. I may, I may not always want to be in the public eye, but I'm going to serve him till the death. But, but one of the things he has used to sustain me is that over these last couple of years, I have been working. I, I, scripture memory is really, really important to me. It's just part of how my very, very active, obsessive, compulsive mind gets, uh, it settles and is orderly. And so I do quite a, a lot of it. And so over the last uh, two years, I'd say I had, uh, have memorized Galatians. And so in order to memorize, you know, a book, you are saying it over and over and over again. And so I just want to remind you well, you, of course, know um, Galatians 3.28 and its impact on our conversation, but you don't even have to get that far. It, it begins at the at, at, at Galatians chapter 2 when he gets into this and says to, to those who would drag them back into slavery, and he's talking about, of course, slavery to the uh, uh, code of the law at that point, circumcision. But, I mean, just just look at that in in, um, in general terms. He he's, Paul says this, and this is word for word in the SV, to them. We did not yield in submission, even for a moment, 
that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And to this day, even saying that to you, the hair just stood back up um, on the back of my neck because that that is that those words have been echoing in my brain all of this time through all of this upheaval. This I know. I know that the the gospel sets you free and that we do everything we have to do to throw our body over it and say, that is not in step with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is nothing in step with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ about nationalism, about racism, or about sexism. Nothing. One one of the things, since we'll we'll cement our burgeoning friendship here, is that one of the, there's a verse from um, Galatians that have also been my um, has been with me for this season of my life because believe it or not I'm not a naturally combative person like I like to have friends I like to have positive relationships I don't, I don't like to I don't like to fight with people and no. I, I mean like I really I really don't and I never thought that I, anything that I would say would ever prove controversial but Paul when he's dealing with um, church in Galatia he he says this thing to them. Have I become your enemy for telling you the truth? For telling you the truth. Is there and, a more profound question than that? And I, it, it's been, that has been, I've used that so many times. Yes. I said, And I would say to groups before I speak, listen, I'm not trying to become your enemy. Mm-mm. I'm trying to tell you the truth as best as I can understand it. So did you decide, because I know you have, it's the Galatians study out now. It's out now, right? It's just come out online and then it comes out in workbook form in January. But, but let, let me say this to you, because I think this is such an important thing, what you just said. I'm the same way. I, I love people. I love lots of kinds of people. I want to, I don't want people not to like me. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be fiery all the time, but I'm going to tell you this, there is a good fight. Uh, there are bad fights and there are good fights and and a good fight. And this is where I will fight you is if, if it's a fight for you and, and not a fight against you, like there's, there's fighting against, but yeah. if, if I, a fight for is worth having, if I'm fighting yeah. for my marriage, if I'm fighting for my children, if I'm fighting for the church or I'm fighting for somebody's freedom, I'm fighting for uh, justice. These, these, these are fights worth having. That that's fighting a good fight of faith, and so that's when. And some things, you know, I I know I can be a, a, a smart aleck, but sometimes Esau, you can put it so not you, but we can put it so delicately. No yes. one even gets it. Sometimes, unless you drop it like a grenade, nobody yeah. hears it. So where and, I'm from. Where I'm from, they say, don't don't come for me if I didn't send for you. And every now and then, there's like two versions. There's two versions of me. And like every now and then, I have to give it to them. And I try my best. I like, I try my, I was, every now and then, I just like, okay, like I tried to give you, I tried to give it to you in a way that you could receive it. Now we're going to have to, we got to do it the other way. And so like, that's what I mean. So people sometimes see me on the internet, giving it to them the other way, but that's not how I use, I don't come, I don't give you everything at first, but if you want it, if you want it, you can have it. Exactly. A woman said to me that I have served. She said to me not long ago, she said, you're always angry now. And I, I looked back at my feed because I want to go, what are you getting on once uh, every six yeah. weeks? 
Because yeah. honestly, you must be at, because no, I'm, I, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. But occasionally, you know, it's just like, no, no. We Listen, when, when, when we look around and we go, we are losing our yeah. ever loving minds. I think it is time to speak up and listen, <laughs> we've been losing our minds. See now you got you got me all. I'm trying to end the podcast, but I, I gotta say one. So, so this, this is what I was trying to say. So like, there are people in my denomination. God bless them, and I get people in your denomination who follow me just to be mad. Oh, oh, and, so, oh, oh, oh. and so like they 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 wait for you to like. You can have 15 <laughs> Jesus loves me tweets, 15 yeah. quotes of Ephesians. The one time I say racism is bad. Why is he so divisive? And then I'll say to him, look. If you come here to if you come here looking for feelings, I have feelings to get to you. Yeah. But that's actually not what this is about. And what and, and what it is is that I think at least on social media or in my writing, I try to give people the full expanse of who I am. And sometimes who I am is someone who's out of energy for soft pelling discussion of racism. But I do have to ask you, because I'm supposed to be talking to you about this Galatians book and you won't let me. So I did this completely just say this question. Did you, like, when did you decide that you wanted to study Galatians? Did you think it had anything to do with this particular moment? I absolutely did not know that it would. Um, I do, the only way I know to explain it is the same way you would have known when you went to begin what would become Reading While Black. And it would be interesting to know how early you knew that that's what you wanted to call it. But all we know is that we get. I didn't. Do you want to hear the title? Sorry. Do you want to hear the title that I liked that nobody else liked? I'd love to hear it. It was called um, Speak, Lord. (laughs) Well. (laughs) Because it was, it was, it was, it's from the gospel song. Somebody's trying to tell you something. And and it's like, it's from, it's from Color Purple. Speak, Lord, speak to me. That was actually the title I wanted to have. Yes, yes. Speak, Lord, speak to me. Well, I'm going to have to go with them on this because I love (laughs) your title so much. It's like that where something just, you you can't let it go. You just can't let it go. It's all you That was mine too, but it was Mm -hmm. my, it was like Mm -hmm. my, I gave them a list of five options. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was just one of the five, oh, and so they good. chose that one. So, so I, I'm, I'm holding credit for it, but it wasn't the one that I said is number one. Number and after one. it came out, I was like, you're right. My t-. Actually, the very first title of it was, um, it was called The New Testament and the Souls of Black Folks. And people was like, well, you can't come for W.E.B. Du Bois unless you're going to write a classic. That's way too arrogant. So I had to fall back from the New Testament and the hopes of black folks. That was one of them. Then it was Speak, Lord, Speak to Me. And reading while black, those are the three options. So you know how you get this, where you're just you can't you can't your mind won't release from it. So that's with every single Bible study, it's been that same way. I would think, okay, I must be it must be that I'm supposed to speak on it. So I'd speak on it at an event. Okay, maybe I'm supposed to write an article. You know, it'd just be as long as the passion would last. I I think, well, okay, it must be something longer. And then when it just won't go away, almost invariably, that's about to be a book or a series of some kind. So it was it was just Galatians next. It was the the thing that I was uh, driven to, but it. I can't even tell you how many times I've said to the Lord, because my my daughter, Melissa, and I wrote it together, and how many times we have marveled to the Lord that he would have picked exactly now. I mean, it's just because it is written. Did you know, Esau, that uh, Eugene Peterson first translated Galatians of all all the books of the Bible, the reason oh. why he tra- oh you have got sometime get a hold and I'm hoping our listeners will do this get a hold of his fabulous book, eat this book Eugene Peterson, um, spiritual reading okay okay and look on page I think it starts at about one 
page 130. And he starts telling what he, about writing in American. And so he tells the story, this was back in the 80s, of um, white flight in his neighborhood and how he got concerned, how he began to see uh, from with a new perspective how uh, racism had a hold in his church. And and it, uh, it troubled him deeply. And he told his wife, you know, because he was a, a a scholar of the biblical languages, he told his wife, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I am going to translate the the book of Galatians into contemporary language, and then I'm going to preach on it to our church. This was how much he believed it had to do with that issue, Esau. So he translates it. Would you believe that was the first step to what became the message and that it began, he started that whole project uh, because of his concerns over that very matter. And so that's just how much it speaks. And no, I, I've been flabbergasted. And then the, um, you know, the, uh, the talk about um, the uh, just sort of uh, putting that level ground at the, at the cross for men and women. It's, it's just absolutely gorgeous. But Esau, before we get off, I've got to read you a sentence that you wrote, because I think it would be the perfect way for us to end. I, I've written above it. I, I told, I told one of my daughters, I said, I have, I'm going to have to start underlining what I am not really that uh, compelled by in Esau's book because <laughs> I keep underlining everything. I'm not just saying that to uh, build you up. I'm, I mean it. It just so resonated. And I happen to like that I'm reading from the outside looking in. And I'm aware of it throughout the book because I I'm, I'm I know who you're writing it to. And I know it's not me. But I love that I'm sitting sort of outside the glass uh, reading it. And it's just gorgeous. And you say on page 21, I'm going to try to say it without wanting to cry about it. The path forward is not a return to the naivety of a previous generation, but a journeying through the hard questions. Esau, this is what I believe. Why won't we just go ahead and grapple with the hard questions while being informed by the roots of the tradition bequeathed to us? I propose instead that we adopt the posture of Jacob and refuse to let go of the text until it blesses us. I nearly threw it. I nearly threw the book because it's that. And it will it will leave us with a limp. You cannot, listen, the closer we get to the Lord Jesus and the more the gospel takes hold of us, the more hostile this world will become to us. It just will. We are not of this world. And what we're doing so much in the church and in so much of our politics and in so much of our way of life, we keep trying to make ourselves comfortable here. We are not comfortable here. We're not. The other title for the book was Jacob Wrestling. Was uh, it really? Of, from that pack. That, I think that was like one of my favorite sentences. And I said, I want, but nobody would get it. Um, but it was from that sentence because I got to the place as an academic where in our context, what we tend to do is we tend to come to a text and it's something we don't like, something that's difficult. And then we just toss it to the side and then we make ourselves basically the editor of the Bible. Exactly. Where we create the canon within the canon where we just decide. But I said, you know what? That's not going to help because then that puts me in the position of the authority and people are trusting me rather than trusting God. And so when I say wrestling with the text until, we, to, until it blesses, it's really this idea that I'm going to stay here until I can find what God wants exactly. me. And, and, and if I have to just withhold judgment, 
there's pastors in the Bible. I'm just withholding judgment until the eschaton. And then I'm going to sit down and say, Jesus, t- explain this to me. Ex- exactly. And so I, exactly. I, I'm more than one. Look, Until then, we say, live in the tension. Yeah, we just we live, live in the, the tension. tension. Uh, we we have to. We do that with even with the things that that the very text that we were talking about proof texting, uh, some of the things about women and uh, in uh, our roles. Um, that, but to look at it alongside, not set it to the side. Look at everybody. it alongside Romans sixteen. Look at how many women he served. Paul, the Paul, the same, the same exact writer. How many women he served alongside, how he esteemed them, what kind of dignity they have, what kind of place they have in his work over and over and over again. And we, when we look at the whole, we cannot, you cannot get to the end of scripture and go, well, it is clear to me from, from the whole canon that God has told all women to go home. That, that is well, not. I call it Lord of the Rings theology. Yeah. When people have like the one verse to rule them the all, one. that's and, it. Or versus the canonical theology, where you say what tr- what truth emerges as you read all of the biblical text. I wrote my first book. My mother in law and my wife were like, you know, good job. I finished writing my second book. My my mother in law, my wife were good job. This is true. My wife didn't think that I was accomplishing. She she'll say she will disagree with this part, but when she never paid attention to anything that I did in my mind. Until the one time that Beth Moore tweeted at me. Oh, no. And my wife said, what? Beth Moore knows? She, then she asked me, she asked me, how does Twitter work? Like, what does it mean? And so then I told her that Beth Moore. <laughs> I told her that, that she commented on Beth. What, I'm trying to say this right. I, then I, I tweeted back to Beth Moore. My wife is excited. And then Beth Moore tweeted back oh, to my oh, wife. Heck yeah, Oh, she was over the moon. She sent that tweet to her mother-in-law. <laughs> and for the first time, my mother-in-law said, maybe you married somebody who's worth something. So I just want to let you know, like, what you did. <laughs> and those three tweets took me from, like, you know, like, we'll keep him. <laughs> she sent that, oh, she that, sent that Beth Moore tweet day. to, like, it Listen, was screenshot. It's in, like, it's Listen. in. It's all in little voice chats and, and tweets and everywhere. I'm not tweets, uh, text messages. So like, I just want to let you know oh, that. Oh my gosh, that makes I my was day. the hero. Oh, this is the, the other thing that happened. We'll see this. Like it was the time where, um, like my kids, when they were, um, when I Bill Fisher invited me on the Veggie, t- uh, what's it called, the um, Holy Post podcast, and my kids for a while thought I was going to be in the Veggie Tales. Oh, and that <laughs> was. Like I was going to be in the show as a tomato. And, and the devastation that you were not, you know, that's yeah, just like, like, oh. I'm still dead to them, but like, at least to my wife, because of your two tweets, I don't want to let you know, like, you established <laughs> me. I'm like walking around in, in, at Thanksgiving with the, the like, the, 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 the status of Beth Moore knows me, so... Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, I had <laughs> I really so appreciate it. much fun. Listen, someday I want to face-to-face buy you a cup of coffee or a good meal, and let's just finish talking about a thousand things that we brought up. This has been such a blast. What we believe about the gospel causes us to speak up. What comes afterwards is how you continue to live your life and your ministry. with Christians and evangelicalism, I thought that the that the argument was ultimately around the interpretation of the Bible. 
And I thought that the case that I and others were making about justice and systemic oppression were themselves rooted in our reading of biblical text. And one of the things that I've been surprised with is how little exegetical engagement there's been by people who disagree with us. And so to see someone like Beth, who took the scriptures seriously as God's word to us, who then saw in those scriptures a testimony to what God has to say about the disinherited, the marginalized, about sexism and misogyny, someone who had a very successful career in ministry and leading Bible studies, going from there to not ignore the Bible, but precisely because of her interpretation of the Bible, she was led to consider issues of injustice. If you open up her Twitter feed, you get a, a big bucket of Bible. And that same Bible that led her to laud the glories of the gospel of salvation also leads her to what God has to say about the disinherited, the marginalized, about sexism and misogyny. I can give up now and keep going. Settle down, not ever knowing. Won't let my history bury me. Because I ain't doing this just for me. And so I think you've heard this episode well. If you don't edit your Bibles. That the things that the Bible addresses, you address. And just because there's certain parts of your tribe, they might not be happy with the fact that you address them. Faithfulness to the entirety of the Christian testimony requires us to say and do what our conscience demands. Thank you for listening to The Disruptors. We will be grateful if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me at Esau McCauley, and you can check out the best and most disruptive offerings from InterVarsity Press authors at IVPress.com. We out.